Uh, we're going to carry on our journey through Philippians, and I'd encourage you to, uh, to take some time out and listen to some of the messages if you haven't been able to do so. Uh, so far, it's been a wonderful journey, and the whole book really resonates with Jesus and joy, and today's message is no different. It's all about joy, how to get joy, how to live in joy. Paul gets very practical around chapter 3, the end of chapter 2, and he's going to show us tonight, and I want to expound some scripture at the beginning of Philippians, on really there are two ways to live. There are two ways to look at life, to view life. There's the way our culture sees it and how our world values and what our culture values, and then it seems to be what Paul and God values, two very, very different uh, ways of looking at living. And we're also going to see one of the big questions that people have about Christianity is, well, what's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions? We're all going to get there eventually. You've all just got different ways of getting there. Well, you're going to hear tonight, uh, sorry, this morning, what the difference is between Christianity and other religions and our culture and secularism. So this is really important to lean into this, and I'm believing that God is going to really speak powerfully through his word. So Philippians chapter 3, let's read this, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is Paul saying, this is us, we're Christians. This is, we're Christians, that's basically what he's saying, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Flesh refers to everything that is uh, of the world, everything that is uh, of his old life before Jesus. If anyone else thinks uh, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, um, a, a, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, Paul has an incredible life resume. This is Paul saying, look, this, these are my credentials. This is my experience. This is my education. This is what I offer to the culture and say, look, this is why you should listen to me. This is why you should allow me in. This is why I am credible because this is my resume. And, and at that time, the Jewish culture would have gasped at that. That would have been like having a, a doctorate from uh, Cambridge, PhD from Cambridge. It would have meant that he came from the best family from the best part of, uh, of the world, come very, very privileged, very uh, smart, almost genius. And people would have gone, wow, that's Paul's resume. Everything that our culture valued, everything his culture valued, he had it all and more. You see, it's just like him having that best degree. And yet, at the same time, in Philippians 3 and verse 3, he says, I put no confidence in this. I have no confidence in it. Doesn't mean anything to me. 
Because he knows that to truly be fulfilled in life, to truly have that sense of purpose, to truly feel that belonging and love and acceptance, he's saying that is what life is about. And all these things are not going to get at you. I have no confidence in it. It's not the answer. And it's an interesting challenge for us because if you think about it, what we do from a very young age is we encourage our children to start building a life resume. And then as they get older, you need to go to the right school, you need to get a, you need to get a good education, you need to get a good job, you need to have this, you need to have this, you need to have this, so that you have the right experience, so you have credibility, so the world will accept you, and then you will be happy. And then you will be fulfilled. And then you will feel loved. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the way it works. If you truly want to be accepted, if you truly want to have that sense of belonging and love and purpose in your life, then there's a better way. You see, in verse 9, Paul continues, he says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So straight away, he's presenting to us the two ways to live. He says, you can do it the culture way. You can do it the world's way. You can build up yourself a great resume and put your confidence in those things that are culture values. Or you can gain righteousness from Christ. This word righteousness is a really interesting word. It's a very powerful word and one that you'll actually see many, many times in the New Testament. But what does it actually mean? If you were to ask somebody what does righteous mean, then they are likely to say something like it means to be correct or right or, or um, you, 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 just, you know what you're talking about and you, it's, it's correct. Whereas actually this word righteousness means that but more. It's actually a community word. Let, let me give you an example of what righteousness means. I'm just going to show you a picture. Oh, that was a very quick picture. There we go. And uh, I just googled uh, golf course, and this is one of the first images that came up. Now, some of you haven't heard of anything I've said in the last 30 seconds, because you're looking at this going, oh, I wish I was there right now. <laughs> well, first of all, non-taken, that you'd rather be on the golf course than in church, for those few of you, the one or two. The others of you are happy to be here, probably already assessing what club you would use to get from here to the flag, or what kind of uh, boots you'd need to wear to get your ball out of the lake, which is where I would be probably with Pastor Phil. Am I right, Phil? Right there. So this beautiful golf course. Let's say I want to become a member of this golf course. Some of the most prestigious golf courses in the world, it takes a lot more than just money in order to become a member of this golf course. You actually have to prove that you have credibility. You have to prove that you have the right standing. And that is what righteousness means. Do I have the credentials to be allowed in? Do I have the right standing? Am I righteous To this second party, the golf course in this case, am I righteous in order to be allowed in, to be accepted, to be loved, if you like, by this second entity? That's what righteousness means. It means right standing. Do I have the credibility 
to be accepted in. It's a community term. And so in the light of all this, this is what Paul is saying to us. Just to sum up all that he's saying is this. We all try to build a resume by which we can face the world, ourselves, and God. We all are trying to build a resume by which we can face the world, ourselves, and God. What does that mean? What is Paul saying when he is presenting these two ways to live? You can either do the world's resume or you can have Christ's righteousness. Because if we are not following and seeking and pursuing the righteousness of Christ, if we're not placing our confidence in Jesus, then we are by default placing our confidence in trying to find righteousness, right standing, credibility, the world's way. And if we're not careful, and I want to suggest that perhaps many of us in the room fall into this camp very quickly because we do place our confidence in these things. We might say that we believe in Jesus, but in our practical outworking of life, what actually is happening is that we are relying on these things that Paul is saying I have no confidence in. That you're relying on your bank account. You're relying on your degrees. You're relying on your family. You're relying on things in your own control so that it gives you credibility so you can be accepted, that you can be loved, that you have a place in the world, that you can find joy. I'll give you an example. Let's just say you have a family member who you love very, very much and your relationship is is fractured. And so you may be working very, very hard in order to improve yourself or to show this person that you ought to be accepted by them. And so you're placing all your confidence in your own hard work, your own performance, your own ability, your own history, in order to win approval from this person. And then it goes further than that, more importantly, is that we believe this to be the case with God. We believe, many of us deep down inside believe that it's down to our own performance, our own experience, our own credibility to get eternally belonging to God. There's not one person in this room who would say, you know what, if there is a heaven, I don't want to go in there. Like even if there's the slightest possibility that there's a God then surely it's worth our time and energy, for those of you who are still exploring Christianity, isn't it worth our time and energy to really press in and seek out whether that is true? Because if it is true, surely it's worth devoting our life to it. And so if that's a possibility, then we ought to be looking at our lives going, well, is my world experience going to get me close to God? Or is there a better way? And Paul is saying there's a better way. You will never have the right credentials. And then very helpfully, what he actually does in this list he gives us is he shows us different elements of his life resume, all of which he says he has no confidence in. So very quickly, and this is well worth a a sermon in and of itself, so I'm just going to fly by this. Let me just show you what I mean. First of all, he mentions circumcision. That speaks to rituals. Are you going to get close to God through ritual? Are you going to be accepted by God through ritual? You know, if you were baptized as a baby, that is not going to get you to heaven. 
It's not. You, you can't find it in the Bible. You just can't. Now, there are some churches who go, well, that's very critical of other churches' theology. Yeah, because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> you know, those rituals are not going to get you into heaven. You coming to church every week is not going to get you to heaven. Going to church at Easter at Christmas is not going to get you close to God and have that sense of belonging. The rituals of praying in a certain way, listening to a certain person on the TV, even, and I need to be careful how I say this, ritually praying and reading your Bible every day is not going to get you accepted by God. Because on your very worst day, you are still loved by God. Paul is saying it's not what you do, it's who you know. So it's not circumcision, it's not rituals, it's not nationality, the people of Israel. In uh, Britain, it's very common to hear people go, well, I'm a Christian. And you'll say, well, why, why do you believe that? Well, I'm, I'm English. We're a Christian nation. Okay. Or in Wales, they'll go, well, I, I'm, I'm chapel. I'm from chapel. I have a chapel background. Great. Not going to get you into heaven. Put your confidence in your background and your nationality. It's not going to help you. God's not going to go, wow, he's English. I mean, he's lived a terrible life and doesn't believe in Jesus, but he's English. Should we, should we let him in? Yeah, okay, come on. I'd love that to be the case, but it's not true. Do I feel blessed being English? Yes, but it's not going to get me into heaven. Thirdly, that my, my status that he talks about being a tribe of Benjamin, that's like the upper echelon of being uh, uh, in terms of your background because that's where Jesus came from. So can I say, your position, your status, your influence, your ability, your impact in community, you can volunteer, you can go all around the world doing wonderful humanitarian things, you can become a very important world leader and it will not get you close to God because it is not what you know, it's who you know. He carries on, success, uh, sorry, success in education. As to the law, you can have all the degrees, you can have all the education, you can know all the philosophical arguments, you can read all the authors, you can pontificate as much as you wish. You're not going to pontificate your way into heaven. You can point to all the certificates you've got on your wall. Very impressive. Look great on Facebook. But don't think they're going to impress God. They're not. He talks about being a Pharisee. That speaks to morality. Oh, we love this one. Because if we truly believe that if we're a moral good person, that the only swear words you use are the ones that you're happy to use in front of your children. Dosh, dang it. Golly, gosh. You know, I don't swear. I'm a good person. I don't cuss. I don't drink, I don't, I don't watch R-rated movies unless they're about Jesus, God's going to let me into heaven. Mm-mm. Does that mean that God likes all that? No, no, no. But it's not going to give you that access, that righteousness, that right standing that we all need to be close to him. Your family, the Hebrew of Hebrews, you can be brought up in a Christian family 
It will not give you access. It will not make you righteous. It will not give you right standing. And then finally, he talks about zeal. You can be enthusiastically spiritual. You can be the loudest or you can be the most serene in whatever yoga pose you want to choose. It is not going to get you into heaven. And Paul says, nothing that we do to our resume is going to put us in right standing with God. You see, and this is why there's such a large difference between Christianity and the secular world. Because the secular world says, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you will have true fulfillment and success and joy, and yet that's not the case. And then other religions, every other religion outside of Christianity says, you must do this, go there, pray in a certain direction, you need to do these rituals, you need to make these sacrifices, you need to give in this certain way, dress in a certain way, cut your hair in a certain way, think in a certain way, learn a certain piece, you've got to do, 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 and you may get into heaven. You see how it's all based on their ability to give themselves right standing, but it's not what you know and what you do, it's who you know. That's the difference between Christianity. It's who Paul knows. It's who I know. It's who many of you know that makes you righteous. And we rely so heavily on our own credentials. When uh, my children were very small, one of my favorite things to do was play hide and seek with them. And uh, just... I used to love playing hide-and-seek with, with little ones. Not so little that they don't have a clue and they just run around in circles. You know, when you start counting, they're like, uh. But they're just at that age where they kind of understand that they need to run off and hide. Then it becomes really fun as an adult and as a dad. Um, and again, my wife used to say that was a little mean, but it was fun. Uh, but the reason it becomes fun is because they're really bad at it. They're really bad at hiding. And you go, right, one, two, and they run off. You can hear the giggle. You can hear the, the patter of their feet, and you know what direction they're going in. And then, right, coming, ready or not, and then you start searching. Are you in the microwave? And, and they start giggling. Or are you in the sink? Are you under the carpet? And you can hear them giggling. You know you're going to find them because they're so obvious in their hiding. And I remember one particular time fighting Jack in our laundry room. He was maybe three years old, and he was a chunky little fella. And he was underneath the sink, and he smartly had pulled the door to, but he'd left one thick thankle sticking out. So it was pretty obvious. Well, where's Jack? And you run, it's great fun. Because any game as a dad that you win is always worth playing. Because there's always a time they get to a size, like my son who was drumming, when you start losing. And it's not, it's not good. So you take advantage of these moments. There you are. But as ridiculous as it is for a little one like that to try and hide from somebody who has a higher intelligence, one hopes, greater experience in life, credibility, as ridiculous as it is, how much more ridiculous is it that when we come to God believing that somehow we're going to be able to hide behind what we have done and what we think and our experiences and our charitable giving, we want to hide behind that and God's going to go, well, that, that, yes, I don't see anything else, I just see that. It, it's like this. Well, where are they? Well, it's obvious where I am and we can point to the good stuff but all the time exposing ourselves as to what we really are. When it all goes quiet 
And no matter what we've done in life and how fat our bank accounts are and what kind of car we drive or how wonderful our family is, it's just not enough. We still feel empty. And we can self-medicate. We can drink. We can do drugs. We can have an affair. We can steal. We can do anything we possibly can in order to try and fill that void while all trying to find a way to bolster our resume so we can feel fulfillment and be accepted by God. And all the time God is saying is not what you know or what you do, it's who you know. Do you know Jesus this morning? We're all trying to build a resume by which we can face the world, ourselves, and God. So, what is the answer? Joy is found by radically placing your confidence in something else. Because if I said to you, okay, let's just stop having confidence in all those things that we've been working hard on, and let's just stop that right now, stop. We go, well, how do we stop? The only way you stop is by placing your confidence in something or someone else. You see, Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. These two words, surpassing worth, are a beautiful Greek word. It's, it's the Greek word hyper-echo. It, it, means, it means super thing. Marvelous. Powerful. See, he's saying, look, in comparison to knowing Jesus, all this other stuff is being overshadowed because I've found something of surpassing worth, something marvelous, something so wonderful, something brighter and and more beautiful and something worth dedicating my life to. And then he goes on. Really pressing the point home. He really wants us to see what this is actually worth. What our resume we're trying to build actually is worth. And so he carries on and he says, so the surpassing worth, this, this wonderful beauty of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, for those of you who have done some Bible study, you will know that this word rubbish is actually a very tame translation of what Paul is actually saying. The word that he uses there would have shocked his readers, and he uses a vulgar term purposefully to drive home the point of how worthless life is without Jesus Christ. He's literally referring to dog excrement. All your degrees, all your money, all your experience, all your credibility, everything that the culture says, yes, that's what you need, is like dog excrement in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, we'll come back to that. Oh, I'm catching up. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits His soul. Or what shall a man give in return of his soul? So you choose. See, right now, I can be confident as a preacher because it's not me who saves souls. It's not me who changes hearts and spirits. 
See, I believe right now that in this room, the Spirit of God is working in the hearts and the minds of people who are ready to become Christians. In fact, I would say even before coming, why do you think you're here? Do you not think it's possible that God had already been starting to plant seeds in your mind and in your heart that there is more to life than you're experiencing? And you've come here and you hear my words and your heart is already changing. And maybe they'll come to a point where the Spirit of God will change you and you make that decision to follow after Jesus. Jesus is saying, isn't it better that you know him? Isn't it better for you to know the one who can give you true right standing than the dog excrement that the world offers? You choose. Jesus who will satisfy you now and eternally or dog poop? Hmm, that's a tough one, Glenn. I don't know which one I'm going to choose. I think I'll stick with the dog excrement. Thank you very much. Why would we do that? There is nothing good about that. I've seen you all picking up after your dog when you, you know, with your little baggies. How embarrassed do you look? How embarrassed does the dog look? It's like, I was like, what are they doing? Where do they keep all that? Why do they want to keep it? There's nothing good about dog excrement. So why would we choose thinking that this is going to work, friends? It is not. See, Paul said that he chose the righteousness of Christ. And in Corinthians, we actually hear in 2 Corinthians, he gives this long list of everything that happened to him since he became a Christian. It's not good. Shipwrecked, imprisoned, whipped, beaten, stoned, ridiculed, several times over. And he says, I still choose that plus Jesus than the dog excrement plus nothing. I choose that. I choose that. Because the gain is infinitely better. The sense of belonging and adventure and acceptance and love that comes through knowing Jesus. Everything becomes better in Jesus. All that stuff that we have in our, in our lives, the degrees, the jobs, the money, the houses that we are in danger of relying on, those good things become even better through the lens of knowing Jesus. And the world just gives poor imitation. You know, the world would say there's better ways you should live liberally, that you can do whatever you want, when you want, have as much sex as you want with as many people as you want. Do you not think that there is a better way? This might be embarrassing for some of you, but it is the truth. Sex, through the lens of knowing Jesus Christ and marriage, is a far more beautiful and impactful thing than sex without him. You can take drink, you can take food, everything that the world has turned and twisted on itself and actually is killing us. You take all these good gifts and you use them and see them and experience them through the lens of Jesus Christ. It's marvelous, surpassing worth. Everything becomes better in Jesus. So how does this happen? Being found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, that right standing, that, that resume, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, from God that depends on faith. It comes through faith. 
See, we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ so we can pursue Jesus, in verse 10, which results in this eternal privilege of being with Jesus. But it starts with placing our faith in Jesus. Let me tell you something that is of the utmost importance and seriousness. Only righteous people are going to get to heaven. Only the accepted, only the beloved, only the saved, only the right standing will spend eternity with God. In Romans 3 it says, no one is righteous. No one. There is nothing you can do. You cannot rely on your own righteousness. We need somebody else's. And in Romans 3, it talks about righteousness and, and how we, we need this extra experience. We need our life changing. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what God does is he gives us Jesus' righteousness. It's like he says, oh, your resume is not at all impressive. It is not get you accepted. It is not going to get you into heaven. So let's scrap that, and I'll give you a new resume. And his name is Jesus. You can have his righteousness. His righteousness rules. His righteousness is what makes us accepted. And the beautiful thing is, is that it's a free gift See, the difference between Christianity and religions is this is a free gift. All you need to do is receive it. You don't need to work for it because there's nothing you can do to ever deserve the amount of love and passion that God has placed upon us through Jesus Christ. You come to the cross. You recognize your own sin, your own worthless tryings to get close to him. You confess your sin. You ask for forgiveness, and he promises. And I'm living testament. I was a village idiot before Jesus slammed into my soul. If you think I was bad, listen to Phil's testimony. (laughs) And you know what? There's others of you in the room that have more colorful testimonies than Phil. And then there's others of you in the room that just seem to be born Christian. You know that you just came a Christian when you were very, very young. Do you think that that is any less valuable? Is it not a grace gift and a love gift from God that you avoided all the garbage? Don't ever look at your testimony and go, well, I wish I had a better testimony. Wish, Wish I was a drug addict before I became a Christian. It's ridiculous. Everyone's testimony is a testimony of grace because it relies on Jesus, not on your background. When I uh, applied to go to university to train as a teacher, I applied for a degree uh, that was like a social science degree, environmental studies, and I arrived on my first day at university along with hundreds of other students, expectant with their brand new notepads and pens and no computers at that time. And, you know, all the stuff that you lose within the first few days, then you end up borrowing off everybody else. You know, you're like, I'm ready. 
And I sat inside this large gymnasium along with hundreds of other students. It was a teaching degree, a Bachelor of Education. And, and we, there were signs on the wall, like so social sciences, and there was design technology, and there was uh, physical education, where all the cool kids went. And then there was maths, where all the nerdy ones went. And then computer science, and all looking around the room. And you had to sit in front of this sign. There was rows of chairs. And then the lead lecturer would come and tell you what was going to happen over the next few days. Very exciting. And I sat there and uh, I waited along with all my other kind of geography and history and humanities kind of people and sat there and waited and this gentleman got up and he started to talk about what he was going to teach us and what the other professors were going to share over the next four years. And I sat there and thought, I can't do this. I cannot listen to him for four years. I won't make it. He's the most boring, I'm sorry this is being videoed, but it was the most boring, like, oh my goodness. So, being the kind of stroppy 19-year-old that I was, I looked around the room and went, okay, what do I want to do instead? Which is ridiculous, because I'd applied for this. They'd looked into my qualifications, I'd had an interview, I had a resume, I'd taken A-levels, all for this particular course. And I looked around and I thought, oh, graphic design and technology, that sounds fun. I'll go over there. So I sat at the back and listened to this guy, and he was saying, you'll make this, you'll draw this, there'll be graphic design. I'm like, this is great. But all the time knowing that I've not got the resume. I've not got the credentials. So anyway, he said, well, line up, and I will sign off your name. And so I went, Lord, I'm going to line up. (laughs) So I lined up. You know, and it took ages, and he was saying name, and checking people's name off the list, and I got to the front, his name was Dr. Gwyn Pritchard, and, and uh, he was sat in front of me there, and he didn't even look up, he just said name, and I went, Madden, Glenn. And I let him look through the list, because I thought, maybe God will have put something in there. <laughs> he hadn't. And he said, your name's not on the list. I said, no, I know. He said, well, did you apply? No. So have you got a portfolio? No. So I didn't give you an interview? No. Well, do you have an A-level in graphic design? No. O-level? Nope. He said, well, other people have brought in work. We've visited their schools. We've, we've shown their portfolios. And I look around, there's other kids with big folders under their arms and stuff. And he said, why, why, what, what are you doing here? And I went, I said, well, I like to draw. That's actually what I said. And he looked at me for what seemed like an eternity, and he said, all right then. And he let me on the course. Now that makes it sound like it was a really easy course to go on. It really wasn't, because I spoke to my colleagues about it, and they were like, how did you get on this? I don't know. He just saw something in me, I suppose. And I loved the course, and I did very well, and it got me my first job, and, and I'm still using that degree to this day, graphic designing for the church and all sorts of stuff. But it all started with Dr. Gwyn Pritchard looking at me and seeing something that I didn't have in me. And God looks at you as a Christian, and he sees Jesus' resume, Jesus' righteousness, and it says in Ephesians 6, it's like the shield of right, the breastplate of righteousness. It makes you bulletproof because you feel confident. You feel like a face life because God saw something in you that you could not see in yourself, no matter what your resume is. Isn't that good news? And as Christians, we should walk in that with our heads held high, Stuff bouncing off our heart. 
It breaks my heart when I hear about Pastor Doug and his family going through that. But what I know as they pray through with that little one, breastplate of righteousness. Their heart is secure. Broken, but secure. Is yours? Are you relying on what you're doing and what you think and your values and belief and political system and bank account and family? Are you relying on all that? It doesn't give you a bulletproof heart. So if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm going to hand over to Pastor Phil just a second because I get to go and do all this again at the South. My prayer is that you'll respond and you'll listen to what God is saying to you maybe in this second. And if you are not a Christian, let's exchange your resume with Jesus' resume. And if you are a Christian, then walk in it. His righteousness. Can I just say very gently, and Phil and I were chatting about it subtly, that last song we uh, sang, when it said, my best defense, my righteousness, that's not true, is it? It's his righteousness. His righteousness is my defense. Let's walk like that. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray now, as Pastor Phil comes and leads us in the next part of the service, that you will be working in hearts and minds and spirits. But Lord, as we share communion together, I pray that there will be people in the room who will respond to the good news that you love them, that you died for them, that you are willing to give your righteousness to them. Father, I pray for the Christians in the room who are just feeling a little shaky in life right now. Lord, I pray that they would meditate on the beauty of having you cover them in your right standing, making them acceptable, making them beloved, making them secure. Holy Spirit, come, we ask. Thank you, Lord.